Your parents were there for you. Now you want to be there for them as they age. Welcome to There for Them, a podcast designed to help you find the information and resources you need to support your aging parents. Hi, this is Tara Fleming Caruso, Collaborative Care Advisor at Hebrew Senior Life. Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Designed for the Adult Child on the Go. You're busy, so wherever your day takes you, we hope you'll bring us along. We look forward to providing information and support so that you can do the same for your aging parents. In our last episode, we explored strategies for starting a meaningful conversation with your parents about aging within the framework of what matters most. When given the opportunity to talk about aging, it's not uncommon for people to bring up their worries about memory loss. We know that some cognitive decline can be a normal part of aging, but when is it more than that? What are the red flags that might be cause for concern, and what do you do if you notice them? In this episode, we'll look at some of the practical information a concerned family member should know, as well as the broader set of resources available to families coping with a loved one's memory loss. Our guest today is Dr. Lubau. Medical Director of the Center for Memory Health at Hebrew Senior Life. Dr. Lubau earned his medical degree from Ohio State University's College of Medicine and Public Health. He completed his General Psychiatry Residency, Geriatric Psychiatry Fellowship, and postdoctoral research training at Brown University and Butler Hospital. Currently, he's an associate professor of psychiatry at Brown University and a visiting associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Throughout his career, Dr. Lubau has focused especially on the impact of dementia and memory loss on the entire family, not just the person with symptoms. So he's uniquely suited to be a guest on our podcast. Thank you, Dr. Lubau, for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. You have a very impressive resume. Thank you, Tara. Great to talk with you today. We're so grateful. Thank you. I'm wondering if it makes sense to start with what brought you to this work. We've heard a bit about your training and background, but I also know that there have been people in your own family with memory problems. Would you be comfortable starting with this? Sure, um, and thanks for asking about that, Tara. My grandfather had dementia, and my grandmother and mother cared for him, and it was really difficult. It ended up working out mostly well for him to live in a nursing home. Uh, he liked it, but it was a strain on my grandmother to have to visit him regularly, and she missed him, and she also missed their relationship when things were easier when they were normal, really, to her. And uh, my mother was in between all of this. And I, I wrote about this in an essay I published back in 2014, including a lot about how it was really stressful for everyone. Also in that essay was an explanation about how my wife's mother developed dementia. That was about eight years ago. She's passed on now, but it was a really big process for my wife and for our family, and sadly, the system to help us in this decade isn't all that much different than what was available for my grandparents 
20 years earlier. And I was already a geriatric psychiatrist working with families about caregiving and dementia when my mother-in-law started showing symptoms. And as we moved through those early stages of caring for her, my interest in working with health systems got really fired up with a strong drive to make them better. Mm, I can hear that in your voice. Say a little bit more about our healthcare system. Are you feeling hopeful that it's getting better? I am. Um, during the Obama administration, the Alzheimer's Association and other advocacy groups were successful in encouraging Congress to write legislation called the National Alzheimer's Project Act, uh, which was enacted in law and requires the Secretary of Health and Human Services to have a national plan to address Alzheimer's disease. And there's been increasing government funding for both research and for reform of clinical systems. And all of this is getting started, but it's very hopeful. And uh, Massachusetts is actually a national leader regarding legislation for Alzheimer's disease. A new omnibus law was enacted just last year that requires clinicians, with the permission of a patient, uh, this law requires clinicians to inform a family member of any diagnosis of dementia. And this law also requires uh, clinicians to have training and there to be plans for hospitals and emergency rooms to work with people who have cognitive symptoms. And Massachusetts also has one of the largest state networks of what's called uh, dementia-friendly activities, including towns that declare their commitment to helping people live better with dementia through supportive services and educational activities. And another hopeful thing is that the Alzheimer's Association and others are publishing clinical practice guidelines, which helps clinicians. And the U.S. Centers for Disease Control just launched a Healthy Brain Initiative Roadmap to help departments of public health do a better job of getting the word out about memory health. And these are just some of the many growing initiatives mm -hmm. to really help people, much different than when my mother was working to help her parents 25 years ago. I'm glad that it's changed. I'm sorry it wasn't the case for you and your family at that time, but it sounds like we're heading in the right direction, and that is really very hopeful. Can we talk for a bit now about some of the basics when it comes to memory and brain health? I think this would be really helpful for the listeners who are in situations similar to those you experienced with your own family. And for example, maybe to start with what you would consider normal as related to aging and memory. What are some symptoms, for lack of a better word, that we wouldn't necessarily be concerned about? Great question. I get this question all of the time. Many things happen as people get older, just as parts of the body might be slower with walking and moving, um, and similarly, digestion in the gut can be slower. Uh, similarly, thinking in the brain can be slower, and it's very common for older adults to have difficulty with things like misplacing items, recalling a word that would easily come to the tongue in um, past years, or recalling the name of someone, or needing more help with things like a calendar or keeping lists. Mm -hmm. So these issues wouldn't necessarily concern you, which I have to tell you is very comforting because they happen to me every single day. Um, and as you said, they might be things we could expect as a part of the aging process. 
So I guess the question is then, when would you worry? What are some of the hallmarks that you look for? Well, first, uh, for older adults, these issues about memory health should be addressed, you know, whether or not there's any concern, uh, at least once a year at an annual wellness exam, and Medicare now makes that available for everyone through their primary care provider. If that routine annual check is a ways out in the future, many months away, but someone has concerns that memory-related tasks are becoming more difficult, then I wouldn't be so worried to rush to do any formal assessment of things if there were two things that were true. Uh, So first, the person having the memory difficulties, if she's aware of these issues and sort of worrying about it, her or himself, then I'm less concerned. And if those issues are not really causing any impairments in day-to-day activities, it's only when the difficulties start to get in the way of things uh, to impair functioning, such as missing appointments or repeatedly losing objects, that then it would be worth um, bringing up with a doctor or a nurse very soon um, before one would wait for the annual wellness visit. About the person being aware of her or his own difficulties, you know, for our listeners, sometimes it's a family member who notices that there are difficulties, um, more repetition of questions, um, more trouble remembering events that are planned, and the person who's having those troubles, the person who's repetitive, is less aware of it. So for our listeners, if that is a sense that you have that a parent or an older loved one is more forgetful and that person is not aware of it, then that would be a flag to me, a red flag to get it checked out. Also, if someone is experiencing new symptoms that seem like depression or anxiety, that's a good time to see if it might be a syndrome that affects mood that could also be affecting memory. That's a really good point because people are sometimes quick to equate memory loss with it's Alzheimer's disease, but having some memory loss doesn't necessarily mean that you have Alzheimer's. There's many different types of dementia caused by different issues. In fact, dementia as a term itself doesn't really tell us very much, does it? I understand dementia to just be a set of symptoms associated with a decline in cognitive functioning. So the real question, I guess, is what is causing these symptoms? Can you talk more about this? So thanks, Tara. You're absolutely right. Dementia is the umbrella term that's used for all different illnesses as they advance to the point of causing impairment. So, for example, Alzheimer's disease. It's the most common cause of dementia, and we can't exactly know that someone actually has Alzheimer's disease, the neurologic illness, unless we look at the brain after death. There are some brain imaging tests now that are getting very close to making a confirmation diagnosis when someone is alive. And as those tests get better, we will be able to say earlier in the disease course while someone's alive that this is Alzheimer's disease. So someone now who has very mild symptoms If that person were to get a comprehensive test with cutting-edge brain imaging and blood tests, that person could receive 
a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, even though that person technically doesn't have dementia because the symptoms are very mild and they're not impairing functioning. There are other diseases besides Alzheimer's that cause dementia. One common cause of dementia is vascular disease like stroke. A vascular dementia can be caused by something that's like hardening of the arteries in the brain, similar to what occurs in uh, cardiovascular disease with the heart. And there are other forms of dementia that people may hear about, such as Lewy body dementia or dementia that can result from Parkinson's disease. One important reason to seek a diagnosis for memory concerns is that there are also a number of causes of dementia, as you were saying earlier, Tara, that are reversible, such as vitamin deficiencies, metabolic problems, or some psychiatric syndromes like depression or anxiety. Okay, so when you're experiencing symptoms that may be reversible, it stands to reason that you can fix the situation by giving your body whatever it was lacking that caused the dementia symptoms in the first place. But when the dementia is irreversible, there are still strategies and treatments that people should know about that may not make the disease go away, but that could certainly mitigate the symptoms and maybe even slow the process down. What positive steps might you recommend to families and patients so that they can still live their best life? Great, great questions. There are some medications that have been approved to delay the progression of Alzheimer's disease, but they don't affect the actual illness and don't really slow down the process or the overall rate of the disease progression. There are other medications that were not originally developed for dementia treatment, but can help with symptoms such as nervousness or sleep difficulties. And all of these medication treatments, they really are, as you were saying earlier, Tara, to help the person with the symptoms to cope with the illness and to maintain uh, her or his highest level of functioning despite the deficits that are slowly progressing from the disease. For vascular dementia, it's very important that our listeners know that the CDC's Healthy Brain Initiative is recommending that diet, exercise, and control of blood pressure are ways of preventing and perhaps treating this form of dementia, vascular dementia, and that these interventions might help people with other forms of dementia as well. And there are many proven treatments to help cope with dementia symptoms that are not medications or, or lifestyle change. These uh, treatments can sometimes be difficult to find because they require trained clinicians. These are approaches in which the clinician helps a person with symptoms and their family to systematically go through a planning process to adjust to changes that the illness forces over time. And the popularity for these types of programs is growing, so it's getting easier to find approaches like this, particularly around Boston. And I would be happy to speak some more about this as our podcast continues. Hmm. Great. That was really helpful. Thank you. In the beginning of our conversation, you reminded us that memory loss is really a condition that affects the entire family. 
And I know a lot of your work and advocacy around dementia care has focused on empowering family members and caregivers. What does this look like? For people who are living with a memory problem and have mild symptoms, the first step in this situation is that their loved ones help them to maintain uh, that person's independence. And this can be done um, beginning with simple conversation like your listeners are used to from prior podcasts, uh, asking about priorities and what people want to keep doing that's most important to them. Uh, There are some structured approaches for doing this in a way that's called person-centered planning. And once it becomes clear that a person with a memory concern is going to need to rely heavily on a family member or a caregiver or other supports, then we, we start to think about ways to help the caregiver to reduce caregiver burden or stress. And the most important thing I recommend really from the beginning is for the caregiver to find a way to attend to her or his own health. And this can be difficult with multiple stressors like kids and work, but it's really essential. Some practical things that can help reduce caregiver burden are spreading out the responsibilities. If there's more than one family member to help with the different activities, but when doing this, it also can help to keep some order by identifying one person who really is in the lead to help keep the family organized around helping the the person who has the memory trouble. And then another ideal thing to put in place, if one can, uh, is that that lead caregiver identify one lead clinical person so that that clinical person has as her his job to be the one place to go to organize a clinical team that's supporting the person who has the dementia. And this can go a long way to make it really less stressful for that caregiver who's in charge. Hmm. I love, love person-centered planning as an approach. It's just the way it should be. And certainly our listeners are going to start picking up on the theme of what matters most. As you had said, Aileen spoke about this in our last episode. And at Hebrew Senior Life, this concept is just paramount to our daily work. I imagine it's central to the philosophy of our new Center for Memory Health also, which you now lead when you're not earning your advanced degrees or doing these podcasts. Can you tell us some of the services that you're offering now at the center? Yes, we're based in Boston. The Center for Memory Health at Hebrew Senior Life offers a range of supports to people living with Alzheimer's disease at all stages of memory loss, as well as their families, caregivers, and loved ones. These include general consultations to help a person with symptoms, a family member, or both to get their bearings and determine what next steps make the most sense to get started on their path. After that, we can provide diagnostic testing with us or refer to a clinical collaborator. For family members specifically, we offer ongoing counseling and education to support their unique needs. And the biggest piece I think that we offer is care management, which is specific for dementia and includes a model developed at UCLA called the Alzheimer's and Dementia Care Program, or ADC. 
This ADC program has been proven to benefit both patients and caregivers alike. Many families find themselves with a diagnosis, a primary care physician, and a specialist, but pulling together the input of those professionals with a host of other lifestyle supports and resources can often be very difficult for the family caregiver to manage. What the ADC program offers is a nurse manager who can piece together a broader plan of care and support that helps improve quality of life on a day-to-day basis. And listeners can learn more at www.hebrewseniorlife.org forward slash CMH. That program is really powerful. The piece that you described, the care management part, considering how many specialists are contributing to the care of someone that is living with dementia. I know that it can be so difficult for family members to manage and navigate the clinical and the non-clinical resources that are involved in care. So speaking of this, what are some of the other varied resources that families might want to tap into? There are the academic medical centers, um, Beth Israel, Brigham and Women's, Mass General, McLean, and there are comprehensive referral programs that are available through leaders like the Alzheimer's Association and uh, Jewish Family and Children Services. For social activities, which are so important, Massachusetts has the only statewide resource finder for memory cafes, which are fun events for people living with cognitive symptoms and their family members to attend. And there are many communities that are seeking status as being um, dementia-friendly, and this includes uh, resources for working with businesses or for um, going to entertainment activities. For state supports, there's the Executive Office of Elder Affairs and the Area Agencies on Aging and the Aging Service Access Points. Dr. Lubau, thank you so much. I'm really humbled by your knowledge and by the integrity that you're bringing to your work. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Tara. Thank you. It's a great opportunity to speak with you. For listeners that are looking for more information, we invite you to check out Hebrew Senior Life's ebook entitled You and Your Aging Parents, A Family Approach to Lifelong Health, Wellness, and Care by visiting www.hebrewseniorlife.org forward slash ebook. And of course, subscribe to our podcast. And on that note, we want to know what you'd like to hear next on this podcast. Are there topics that you think would be helpful? Let us know. Send an email to editor at org with the word podcast in the subject line. Thank you. We look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening to There for Them, brought to you by Hebrew Senior Life a leading senior care nonprofit organization that's an affiliate of Harvard Medical School and is uniquely dedicated to rethinking, researching, and redefining the possibilities of aging. Learn more at HebrewSeniorLife.org.